war is over, the army surrenders, close the book, move on to something else. But for those who were there, life went on. What happens after surrender? We'll find out from Mark Bradley when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Got a marketing department? Outsource it. Electronic theater service moment ad agency will animate your business. Still stuck with paper? Digital. Engage prospective clients with dynamic media, including voice, animation, video, music, and virtual tours. For interactive presentation, illustrates who you are and what you do. Whether it's project on street, hand it on C with auto link, or being from your website, multimedia will grab your client's attention and keep it there. Epic Theater makes it simple. Our knowledgeable, experienced, friendly professor, surprisingly affordable. So get your match out of the world. Electronic Theater, spotlight your business. Check out our service and low CD rotation pricing at electrontheater.com or call us at 760-436-8449. Credit card debt has squeezed the fun out of your life. Are you ready to file bankruptcy? Wait. Make one more phone call first to Credit Partnership. Our licensed attorneys offer a unique debt relief solution called debt reduction. You can get out of debt in two to three years or less. Credit counseling and consolidation loans are no solution. They only rearrange your debt, which may lower your interest rate slightly. You'll still wind up paying the entire balance over time. Lots and lots of time. Only debt reduction with Credit Partnership shrinks the principal balance of your debts, not just interest. Your monthly payments will be lower, too, so you get immediate relief. Debt reduction has already helped tens of thousands eliminate their debt. And unlike bankruptcy, debt reduction with credit partnership does not become public record. Remember, bankruptcy devastates your credit for 7 to 10 years. Call Credit Partnership instead. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Toll free 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Or visit us online at creditpartnership.com. Get relief from your debt now with Credit Partnership. Call 1-800-332-8728. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. World Talk Radio, the number one source for informative talk on the World Wide Web. World Talk Radio. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the Advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com or you can click on the Sponsor This Show link on any of the show pages. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich at East Carolina University, talking today about the end of the surrender, not of Lee, but of Joe Johnson's army in North Carolina. And our guest is Mark Bradley, author of this astounding close, The Road to Bennett Place. Well, Mark, we've talked about the uh, the road up to the surrender and discussed some of the interesting characters. We were just talking about Judson Kilpatrick and Wade Hampton, for example. And uh, I wanted to, to throw in a mention. You talk about uh, Kilpatrick's headquarters seem to get to be a weirder and weirder place as your book <laughs> went on. Uh, by the end, there, there's these uh, orderlies, so-called uh, Charlie and Frank, uh, hanging out with him. And uh, well, well, what was going on there? Well, Kilpatrick was a widower by. Um, early 1865, and <clears throat> he took full advantage of his uh, newly found single status. Um, and uh, I should also mention that uh, his chief of st- his adjutant and chief of staff did as well. Um, Charlie and Frank, who you who just mentioned, uh, were actually, um, sh- 
shall we say, camp followers. And um, they did dress in Union uniforms, which they filled out in a very novel way, at least for soldiers in the uh, 1860s. Um, but by the time they reached Durham Station in uh, May or April of 1865, uh, they decided to uh, come out of the closet, so to speak, and they began wearing the clothing of uh, the daughters of their host at Durham and writing about town. And uh, needless to say, this scandalized the homeowner and most of the town, um, but that wasn't the least of Kilpatrick's shenanigans because apparently he also had a, um, a mulatto laundress who uh, she said had gotten him with child. And as she put it, he was threatening to go back on her. So we know that Kilpatrick led a, led a very active social life during the Carolinas campaign. Uh, I should also point out, too, that there is a misconception that um, <clears throat> a woman by the name of uh, Marie Boozer was staying with Kilpatrick at the Monroe House on the, the eve of Kilpatrick's shirt tail skedaddle. It was actually a school teacher from South Carolina who was staying with, uh, with Kilpatrick and not 17-year-old Marie Boozer. I think Marie's mother, Amelia Feaster, had enough good sense to make sure that her daughter steered well clear of Kilpatrick, given his reputation. So just wanted to uh, let people know that, the, unfortunately, the Marie Boozer story is, is uh, actually a myth. Oh, a, a rumor, but we'll, we'll clarify that and protect her reputation. That's a good thing to do. <clears throat> now that I think about it, we had talked with uh, Dr. Thomas Lowry uh, recently on the show, was written on uh, sex in the Civil War. Right. He, he mentions Kilpatrick in his book as someone who, who flaunted his, uh, uh, his his escapades with with various women. Uh, certainly, by the end of the war, Kilpatrick is, is one of the less impressive characters one comes across uh, in terms of uh, people you'd want to spend too much time with, I suppose. But interesting for that, certainly. Mm-hmm. Now, what? Excuse me. As we get to the end of the war, as as, as uh, Johnson retreats after Bentonville, Sherman continues to pursue him north and then west. Uh, Johnson retreats to the west. Lee surrenders, and really it becomes moot where Johnson can go. Maybe he can go south. Maybe he can disperse his troops toward the mountains and, and mm-hmm. the guerrilla campaign. So Sherman feels he still needs to catch this army. He can't just just forget about it now. It's certainly important, but in due time, Johnston comes to the conclusion he, he must stop fighting as well. There's no point in further effusion of blood. As they That's say. right. This, is, this brings up a problem. By 1865, everybody knows how to fight a battle. It's not like First Bull Run anymore, where they don't mm-hmm. know what the conventions are. If you think of a battle as a, a giant social ritual, uh, after a while there are certain things you do that are, and other things you don't do that, that as you do in any mass uh, event, there are mm-hmm. conventions that are followed. Well, surrendering is a brand new convention. Uh, how do you end a war? Nobody, I mean, Lee has just done it, and now it's up to Johnston and Sherman to do it. How do you go about going from being uh, mortal enemies to, to reaching some kind of agreement? What, no, what you're, you're absolutely right, Jerry. Um, they didn't teach a course on surrender negotiations at West Point. That just didn't enter into their um, curriculum. Uh, both Johnston and Sherman were West Point graduates, but um, 
that was uncharted terrain for them. And it certainly becomes clear, <clears throat> given Sherman's conduct at the Bennett place and the, the, what proved to be three days of surrender negotiations, that for all his talk about hard war, he was very much um, in favor of granting the Confederates a, what I would call a very lenient peace. And um, even though he had promised the authorities in Washington, uh, Secretary of War Stanton and General Grant, that he would offer Johnston the same terms that Lee had received at Appomattox Courthouse, once the General Sherman and Johnston began to negotiate at the Bennett House, their negotiations took on a far different and far more comprehensive uh, character. And the initial surrender agreement that Sherman offered to Johnston um, we might say, um, entered the political realm as well as uh, strictly a military surrender. What, what did it say, actually, that, that crossed that line? Well, first off, um, Sherman was going to let the Confederates keep their arms, and as he later said, that they could use those to defend themselves against outlaws and guerrillas. They would carry the arms back to their respective state capitals and keep them there. He also um, promised to... Uh, guarantee that they could retain their um, state governments. All the uh, uh, officials had to do was take an oath to the Constitution of the United States. Um, the Confederates could also keep their personal, political, and property rights. Now, presumably, property rights, although Sherman later said that it was understood that that did not include slaves, um, that was not stated in the document. So, strictly speaking, uh, you'd have to say that slaves were included in that uh, agreement, so the Confederates essentially could keep their slaves. And then finally, uh, and probably most uh, objectionably to the authorities in Washington, Sherman granted amnesty without exception to all Confederates, and that would have included President Jefferson Davis and his cabinet. And uh, that was something that uh, no one in Washington would uh, uh, assent to. Uh, Sherman uh, apparently had just become so enamored of this idea and so euphoric, as he later put it, of ending the war from the Potomac to the Rio Grande with a single stroke of the pen that he he actually forgot that uh, what he was doing was giving the Confederates even more than they had actually come to the table uh, bargaining for. And uh, when the uh, terms reached Washington, they were immediately rejected by the president and his cabinet and General Grant was actually sent to Raleigh to assume command. But Grant was a good friend of Sherman, and he simply told Sherman that the terms had been disapproved. And as you pointed out, all of this results from the fact that Sherman, although he was a, a veteran field commander, was inexperienced in the matters of uh, surrender negotiations. Now, now the we know that Stanton, uh, Secretary of War Stanton, uh, as well as President Andrew Johnson, rejected these terms, as you say, summarily. There was no question that these these were unacceptable. As we are still, to some extent, under the spell of the old Dunning School Reconstruction era of history that uh, teaches what a bad thing it was to try to reconstruct the South and let the slaves vote and so forth, mm -hmm. um, Stanton still comes down as, as this vengeful, vindictive, radical Republican uh, who's unfair to poor, generous General Sherman here. For a moment, Sherman gets to be the good guy in, in the... Mm, that's right. Mythology. 
But when, the way you just told it, it's easy to see why Stanton would be outraged. Sherman's given away the whole store. Uh, mm-hmm. If the state governments are intact, then what about the governments of the reconstructed states like Louisiana or West Virginia or Tennessee? Does this mean that the Union governments leave the old Confederate well, back? That's a good point. I didn't even mention that one of the provisions was that the Supreme Court would decide which state governments remained in authority. And there were, as you know, several state governments that uh, you could say were competing governments. Uh, For example, West Virginia was carved out of the state of Virginia. Uh, There were governments in Virginia and Louisiana, North Carolina, that, that had either were competing or had competed. Um, So Sherman was actually saying, I'm not even saying that the governments that are in power now are even legitimate. He was actually opening that up for uh, adjudication. And in a sense, what Sherman was doing at the Bennett Place was saying, we don't even need to worry about Reconstruction. We'll just return to the status quo antebellum, just as long as you understand that secession is not an option. And that is essentially what the Bennett Place terms do. And and Sherman went on to say after the war, after he had concluded his surrender agreement, which essentially were the terms that Lee and Grant had uh, agreed upon at Appomattox, Sherman went on to say, well, you know, the United States has made a mistake. Reconstruction was wrong. They should have just followed my lead and just gone ahead and just let the South reenter the Union without Reconstruction. And, and given how Reconstruction turned out, uh, in a sense, one can almost see that. Uh, wouldn't have, of course, the, the constitutional amendments. That's right. Well, he conveniently overlooked the fact that um, Reconstruction involved the ratification of the 13th, the 14th, the 15th Amendments, the, which would mean the end of slavery, the, uh, uh, the ability of the uh, former slaves to become full citizens full, uh, with you know, full political rights and um, that they would be guaranteed the right to vote. And I think that for Sherman, all of that was a very unpleasant uh, mess that should be left to the states to decide, that it was really not up to the federal government. And in a sense, Sherman had a very conservative view of Reconstruction. And if you take away the idea that um, Sherman was all for preserving the Union, his political views were very similar to many conservatives in the South. So the irony is is that even though Sherman comes down to us today as as the scourge of the South, in many ways his political views were more in line with the ex-Confederates than uh, people realize. That that is an irony, certainly. And unfortunately, uh, as I hear the background music starting up, it looks like we are out of time this week. But, Mark, it has been a pleasure talking with you. I very much enjoyed uh, reading about The Road to Bennett Place, and I urge our listeners to give that a read. Uh, Come and visit North Carolina and the Bentonville Battlefield if you get a chance. And, uh, Mark, I hope we will cross paths on Civil War Trail soon. I hope so, Jerry. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.